in chapter 4. <clears throat> you know, there is nothing... You know, that the, the Bible says, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but the Bible says, if we do not give praise to him, the rocks will cry out. Uh, because God will be praised. And um, <clears throat> we need... We need to make praise a regular part of our lives. Philippians in chapter 4. <clears throat> we'll be there in a minute, but I, I want to talk about my father-in-law for a few minutes. My father-in-law, my mom and dad met him. He, he was an interesting guy. Um, I, if I had one word to describe him, it would probably be cantankerous. <clears throat> if you don't know what that is, look it up. Um, uh, he was, he was just an interesting guy. He, he grew up in the poorest county in the United States during the Great Depression. That tells you how poor he grew up. Uh, his father abandoned their family, uh, his mom and, and four siblings, uh, <clears throat> when he was just a small, a small kid and had to drop out of school Melanie could tell you what grade, but it was early in his education so that he could go to work to help put food on the table, picking cotton and tobacco and whatever else he could find to do. He fought in World War II. <clears throat> Have you ever uh, seen movies of, of D-Day during, during uh, the, the invasion of France? Well, my father-in-law was a a pilot for the landing craft. That's what he did. He was in the Navy, and uh, he was a pilot for for th those landing crafts. And two, I think two days before D-Day, he got really sick and was put in the hospital, and the guy who replaced him got killed. He owned multiple businesses. Uh, really sharp. I mean, he may not have had an education, a formal education, but he was he was just a very, very shrewd businessman. But the one thing that I always found very interesting about my father-in-law is he, he could read people uh, <clears throat> for entertainment. Just about every night after he got off work, he, he, uh, he had a small uh, mom-and-pop used car lot. And um, after he would close up, oftentimes he would go up to the mall and he would get a cup of coffee and he would just sit there and watch people. That's what he liked to do. And, <clears throat> and occasionally my wife and I would meet him up there and, and we would sit and, and talk and he would, he would say things like, <clears throat> that guy's carrying a heavy load. You know, you could just tell. And, um, <clears throat> or, or, boy, she's really mad about something. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> or uh, I, I remember one time we were sitting at the mall, and I don't know why I remember this, but you know how certain events just kind of spark in your head. <clears throat> and I, I remember sitting uh, at the mall with him on a particular evening. And he, 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 he kind of bumped me. He said, you see that lady right there? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, that lady is a very confident person. And I sat there, and, I'm, and I, you know how, I don't know how, if you're like me, but I, <clears throat> I'm looking at the same lady thinking, 
Huh? So finally I said, how, how do you know that? He says, well, there's a number of reasons, but one, just look at the way she walks. And look at what she's wearing. Uh, he said, but most, more importantly than that, just look at her overall appearance. And as I, the more I looked at her and was, you know, spying on her, I guess, um, the more I realized he's right. And for whatever reason, every time I think of the word confident, my mind goes back to that evening sitting at the mall making fun of people as they walk by. <clears throat> I won't tell you all the things he used to say about people, but it was, it was quite humorous to say the least. <clears throat> As Darlene mentioned, <clears throat> we have been talking about confidence in the Lord. And I, I believe, I don't, don't remember if it was last week or week before, but I mentioned that there are two types of confidence for the Christian. That is self-confidence and confidence in God. Now I want to stop here, and I and I I want to I want to have a come to Jesus moment with all of us. If we are honest with ourselves, how many of us can truly say that you are one hundred percent dependent in your confidence of God? And the reality to that statement is, I don't believe any of us could say that we are 100% confident in God. So that means that we all are still growing, are we not? Now, confidence is one of these things. I've talked about it before. Confidence is contagious. But confidence also breeds confidence, does it not? So as God proves himself in the small things in life, then when major things come into our lives, do we not then have the confidence to endure those major things? Iron sharpens iron. So this morning, before we get into the message, I want everybody to bow your heads, and, and I want to... I want to pray just a very simple prayer this morning. And <clears throat> I, I don't necessarily want you to pray along with me, but I want you to listen to the prayer. And if it is a prayer that you will pray this morning, I want you to do that. Dear God, show me an area in my life that I need to surrender to you. Help me be confident in you and not in myself. If that is a prayer that you can pray, I want you to do so. God, show me an area in my life 
that I need to surrender to you. Help me be confident in you and not myself. Amen. Philippians chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to abase and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I uh, departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, he said once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire <clears throat> excuse me, a gift, but I desire fruit <clears throat> that it may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Ephapetus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I I thank you that I can be confident in you. And the more confident that I am in you, the the, the less confident I am in myself. And I praise God for that. Help me, dear God, this morning to yield myself to you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, confidence is contagious. And if you want, if you need confidence, the more that you are around confident people in the Lord, the more you'll be confident in the Lord. But confidence also breeds confidence. That's why we need church. That's That's right. Who's preaching here, by the way? <laughs> honestly, that, honestly, let, let me let me let me uh, uh, say something here. I know of churches in our country that are still not able to meet face to face, and believers are having a difficult time. And part of the reason why is because they cannot be around fellow believers. And we need each other. We desperately need each other.
<clears throat> Two weeks ago, the message was, uh, well, the, the title of the, the message uh, is Striving Together in Confidence. <clears throat> but two weeks ago, we talked about the byproduct of confidence. Last week, we talked about the people that practice confidence. And this morning, we're going to talk about the assurance when we practice confidence. <clears throat> Look at verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our confidence, when we practice confidence, <clears throat> the idea of confidence of God hits a high point here in this passage. It kind of it kind of it kind of culminates in verse 19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Understand here, now this is important. Please get this. This is not just a promise to the believers at the Philippian church. This promise is for you and I today. Just, just as Lori said, the, the book of Isaiah is just as applicable today as it was when it was written. Let, let, me, let me go further. This book is applicable today as it was when it was written. Every promise of this book is a, still a promise today. The, the God of the first century church, uh, specifically the church of Philippi, the, that God is still the same God that we serve today. And he hasn't lost any power. He is still the God of heaven, and he is still sitting on the throne of heaven. And we can be confident in that. So let's look at letter A this morning, the source of the power. The source of the power. V verse 19, but my God. My God has not changed. The same God that, that Paul is talking about here when he was writing to the Philippians is the same God that we serve today. Did you notice he did not say, my rich benefactor, my large bank account shall supply all your needs. If you, well, let me say, if you're waiting on my bank account, you're in big trouble. <clears throat> and he didn't say, the government bailout or the stimulus check shall supply all your needs. Can I hear that again? Amen. Amen. You know what? <clears throat> my government does not supply my needs. My God supplies my needs. See, the context of this passage, and, 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 and this is important, okay? You have to always understand the context of what's going on when you read the Bible. The context here is specifically talking about giving money. The Philippian church was giving money to Paul because Paul was in need, financial need. So the, the context here is giving of, of money. Now, whenever you, whenever you read the Bible, there's, there's always one context, but there are multiple applications. 
Hello? You, you get that? Okay, so we can, we can read it, understand what the context is, and then say, okay, how can I apply this to my life? That's called application. Because the reality is, if we don't learn to apply the Word of God to our lives, it's just a bunch of words. It's the application of the Word of God in our lives that changes our lives. So learning to apply. So even though the context of the verses that we just read is talking about giving money, what is the application of this passage of Scripture? The application of this passage of Scripture is trust. It's all about trust. On our trip to Oregon this last week, Melanie was <clears throat> going through her email. She, I don't know how she does it, but she had accumulated a thousand, over a thousand emails. And I, I, I'm, I, you know, praise the Lord for her. I, I, I you know, I, I love my wife dearly, but. So she sat she sat in the car and she just you know for for a couple of hours she just went through deleting emails and anyway so she was reading this and she came across this one particular email and 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 she's like oh Rick I got to read this to you I said okay so this this is what she read me I recently heard a story of a man who who struggled with tithing uh <clears throat> He confided to a close friend that he wanted to give his tithe in obedience to God, but was worried he wouldn't have enough money to pay his bills or take care of his family. His friend thought for a moment, then replied, How about this? You tithe faithfully for a month, and if there's any need that you have, any bill left to pay at the end of the month, or funds lacking in any area, I'll take care of it. The man agreed. He gave his offering each week without fear, for he knew his friend was just a phone call away if any unexpected financial crisis threatened. At the end of the month, he realized he had given four weeks in a row without a single moment of worry about his bills. Why? Because he had a safety net. And when he realized he had a safety net all along. See, the truth about giving is not money. It's trust. <clears throat> and those of you that know me, those of you that come to Grace Baptist Church on a regular basis know that I, I don't talk about money very often. Number one, because I hate money. <clears throat> But number two, money is not the issue. Trust is the issue. And when we learn to trust, when we learn to put our faith in Jesus Christ, money is just an object. David was a man who learned how to trust the Lord. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 25, he says, I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. When we learn to trust, then God is the source 
of our confidence. It's not about giving money. I don't, I don't want your money. I want you to learn to trust. And when you trust, money is something that's just a, it's just a tool that God gives us to serve him with. So number one, the source. Number two, <clears throat> the quantity. The quantity. Look at verse 19 again. But my God shall supply all your needs. God will supply all your needs. One of the things that many people struggle with is the difference between a want and a need. Okay? <clears throat> now, I need a Jaguar, right? No. No. <clears throat> okay. Now, I really don't even want a Jaguar. You know, I, I'm just teasing. I just, the only reason I said that is I saw one for sale on the way to church this morning. So, okay, so what, what is a need? I came across these definitions. I thought they were very, very accurate in their description. So what is a need? A need refers to the essential things that humans require to live a healthy life. Example of basic needs, food, clothing, shelter. Okay, uh, what is a want? A want uh, wants are those things that human beings would like to have either immediately or at a later stage in life. Uh, bigger house, faster cars, nicer clothes, etc. So, what is the core difference between a need and a want? I'm glad you asked. I have the answer right here. <clears throat> uh, needs refer to those basic requirements that foster survival, whereas to refer to human desire that fosters improved life. Uh, the nature of a need is limited while those who wants are unlimited. I'm going to reread that one because that, that, that's really important. The nature of needs are limited while those of wants are are unlimited. Needs <clears throat> are uh, things that we must have while uh, wants are simply the desires of our hearts. Wants tend to represent wishes, whereas needs represents necessities. Needs are essential for human beings, whereas wants are not essential. Needs tend to remain the same throughout, whereas wants are prone to change with time. And then really, it all kind of culminates in this last one. Non-fulfillment of needs may lead to death or illness, whereas wants have no impact in the long run. His promise is to supply all our needs, not our wants. <clears throat> the quantity, the quantity 
Have you ever tried to take in the idea of the word all? Have you ever tried to let that sink in? That God of heaven will supply all my needs? Now, I'm going to say something that I hope I I don't get in trouble for this. Just because you've made bad financial decisions and put yourself in a jam does not necessarily mean God's obligated to get you out of that jam. Okay? I mean, there are consequences for our decisions and choices. And God is not obligated to get you out of that, but he will make sure that your needs are met. Generally speaking, when we do put ourselves in those kind of situations, it is because we have allowed our wants to overtake our needs. One of the biggest struggles I think that many people have today is identifying the difference between wants and needs because the billion dollar industry, advertising industry has convinced us that we need everything. And the reality is we don't. All we need is a little bit of food. And we don't need near the food that we eat. I heard a, I heard a statistic one time that the, 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 the world's food consumption, I want to say 40% of the world's food consumption happens in the United States. That's sad. We all eat too much, okay, including myself. <clears throat> What is a want and a need? See, understanding those two things in our lives will help understand sometimes why God doesn't, quote-unquote, not answer prayer in our lives. Because oftentimes we pray for wants and not needs. The quantity of God's blessing in our lives. He will supply all of our needs. Number three, and I think the most precious of all of them, is the quality. The quality. Look at verse 19 again. But my God shall supply all your needs according to what? His riches in glory. His riches in glory. His sources are unlimited. <clears throat> Melanie and I made the trip to Oregon. In fact, Chris Chris was just about an hour and a half or so from where we were on his vacation as well. And... <clears throat> 
Brandon came up for the conference too, and you, these these guys can hopefully confirm what I'm about to say. But <clears throat> when you get into Oregon, you because um, it, it's the eastern eastern because you you enter uh, Oregon near Boise. Uh, was it 84? Okay, on on Interstate 84. And as soon as you cross the river into Oregon, you you start going through a series of hills, and it's just one hill after another hill after another hill after another hill. And the deeper you get into Oregon, the the greener the hills get. Okay, okay, I see a lot of hills. Okay, so you, you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so yeah, the the the, the closer east or west you go, um, the, the greener the hills get, <clears throat> and it was amazing to me as the you know as, as we went eastward that <clears throat> the cattle were just more and more plentiful i don't know if you guys notice it or not but i i don't know why but i just i happened to notice that as as we got closer to lagran that the the the, the cattle were just everywhere And it's it's such a it's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful thing the, these little black dots on this really really green pastures and anyway <clears throat> as we were driving these miles and miles of hills these rolling hills uh, just seeing all these cattle and everything it, it, it brought my mind back to Psalm chapter fifty verses ten to twelve for every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle upon a thousand hills. <clears throat> I love that phrase, the cattle upon a thousand hills. And as I was driving through there, I, now there weren't a thousand hills, there were a bunch, but there weren't a thousand, at least not that I could see. But God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he goes on, I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tarry thee. Excuse me, I would not I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. And as I as I was kind of letting all of this soak in, I, I was just overwhelmed by the 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 power and the majesty of God. The quality, the quality of his power in our lives. When I got home, <clears throat> as I was uh, <clears throat> pondering the, the, what I had seen, I, I, I grabbed hold of one of my commentators, and, and I was reading about uh, <clears throat> the, the passage in Psalm that we just read. And I want to I share with you what this commentator said, because it, it was, it's something that I had never really thought of. He says, most ancient Near Eastern people believed that their gods depended on them um, for sacrifices and for their uh, gods, excuse me, and if their gods were overpowered, their nation would be overpowered as well. Okay, let me stop here and explain what he's talking about. Back when this passage in Psalms was written, the religions of the day, people had to sacrifice 
huge amounts of money, even their children, to feed these pagan gods. And in, in essence, we, we see it today in religion. That religion, then and now, is dependent on people feeding the religion. You, you follow that? But he goes on. The God of Israel reminds them that he is not like the pagan gods around him. In other words, he doesn't need them. God does not, uh, does not mention the cattle on a thousand hills to promise us anything. He mentions the cattle to remind us that he is not dependent on us and we are not doing him a favor by serving him. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. We are not doing God a favor by serving him. Now you, you, may sit, you might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't sound too good. He wants us to serve. Yes, he wants us to serve him. But God doesn't need us. We need him. See, it is in total contrast to the religions of the day and the religions today. Religions say, we need you to serve us. That's what religion says. But God says, I don't need you to serve me. I want to serve you. Think about that. God, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If that is true, can he not provide my needs? But what does religion say? Feed religion. He doesn't need us, we need him. The quality, the quality of the power that is available to us is unbelievable. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. An incredible thought. And then finally, we'll be done. Letter D. The source, the quality, the quantity. And then letter D, the outcome. The outcome. Look at verse 20. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When God's people exercise confidence in Him, He meets our needs. His power is proven. And He gets the glory. When we do it right, he gets the glory. And the church at Philippi did it right. Because in verse 20, who's getting the glory? The church at Philippi or God? God is. As I, as I sat and I was contemplating this, I thought of <clears throat> the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who had a plush job in the palace 
And God put it on his heart and gave him a task to accomplish. And Nehemiah gave up a plush life to travel to the, to the, to the, to the desolation of Jerusalem. And as, as Nehemiah oversaw the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, something very precious is pointed out in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished in, 20 and five, in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elu, in 50 and 2 days. In 52 days... Nehemiah was able to rally the people around and accomplish the impossible in 52 days. But that's not the the important part. And it came to pass when all our enemies there uh, heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. And they perceived that the work was wrought by Nehemiah. Is that what it says? No. That the work was wrought of God. See, when we do it right, God gets the glory. And Nehemiah didn't go into Jerusalem boasting himself and and and. And, and bragging about how he was going to do all this. No, he went in humbly and he allowed God to work through him because his confidence was in God, not in his own abilities. And because of that, God got the glory for what had happened. Right. Amen. See, he trusted God. His confidence was not in himself. What about Joseph? Joseph is another one that I thought of. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was lied about. He was falsely imprisoned. He was forgotten about. I mean, you talk about everything going wrong. This guy had it. And he had, and he had done nothing wrong. In fact, Joseph is one of two people that I know of, the only two people in Scripture that I know of, that nothing negative is said about him. Daniel's the other one. Now, there may be others, and when I, mean, when I say that, I'm talking about prominent people, not just people that are just mentioned once. But I'm talking about prominent people in Scripture those are the only two that I know of that nothing... Ne- you know, we, we taunt David. And David was a great warrior and he was a great man. Yeah, he was a murderer too and an adulterer. He had a lot of issues. What about Abraham? I don't even want to get there. You know? Think about it. Joseph did nothing wrong. Now, was he perfect? Absolutely not. How do I know that? Because he's human. But he was a man of impeccable character. 
but he never forgot God. He never forgot God. He never lost his confidence in God. And if you go to the book of Genesis, I don't know if you realize this, but I, I want to say, I, I'd have to go back and look to be positive, but about half of the book of Genesis is about Joseph. And if you go back and read that the last half of the book of Genesis, and you see all the things that he went through and all the, 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 the imprisonments and all the, everything that he went through. And what happened when his, his father died? His, his brothers were fearful that he was going to cut loose on them and he was going to take out his anger on them. And they came to him basically begging for their lives. Hey, now that dad's gone, don't kill us. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, it says, but as for you, you thought evil against me. What, he, what he's talking about there, the evil that he's talking about there, is when they sold him into slavery. They hated him. You thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring to pass, as it is this day, this, to save much people. That is someone who can only have that kind of perspective when his confidence is in God and not himself. When you can go through the things that Joseph went through, come through them, understanding the fact that God is ultimately in control of my life. That, my friend, is confidence. Praise God for that. question how's your confidence this morning the nation of Israel if you know anything about the Old Testament the nation of Israel uh, <clears throat> went through periods where they were very confident in God and then they would they would go down where they had no confidence and it was just a it's a constant cycle in the history of the nation of Israel uh, even today. There was one time where the the nation of Israel, uh, their confidence in God was non-existent for all tents and purposes. In 1 Kings chapter 18, a man named Elijah challenged the nation of Israel. on a top of a mountain called Mount Carmel. Verse 36, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God of Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the, the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their uh, heart back again. Then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt 
uh, sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, they didn't look at, a, at Elijah and say, Elijah's a great man. Look what he did. They said, the Lord God, he is God. How's your confidence this morning? Has it been shaken? Because that's what life does, is it not? It shakes our confidence in God. It, it, it causes us to doubt, question, is God really in control? And I'm here to tell you, yes, he is. How's your confidence in God? At, at the beginning, I told you that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we have, there, there are really only two confidences, and that is self-confidence and confidence in God. It's one or the other. And I'm here to tell you, if you are confident in yourself, <clears throat> I really feel sorry for you. I also challenge you to pray and ask God if, there's, if there is an area in your life that you need to surrender to him this morning that you would do so. Has God put his finger on your heart this morning and showed you something that, that you need to change in your life? I hope he has. The reality is this, as I was studying for, for this the, the last three weeks, God has really beat me up over this issue of confidence in Him. Because we can all become complacent, can we not? We can all become self-sufficient in the things that we do well. Because there are certain things that we all do well. And we say, okay, God, I need your help in these areas, but I, I got these areas and God's, what's God saying? No, I want all of it. Now, there's not a whole lot of things I do well. But God wants everything in my life. How's your confidence this morning? Is your confidence in Him? Or is it in you? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for...